Hi, I'm Dr. Kim Corson, and I'm a developmental psychologist and coach who blends art and science to help people thrive. And I'm your co-host, Daisha Clay. I'm here to learn what Kim's teaching too, to ask lots of questions along the way, and to make sure that you have fun while you're listening. And on this podcast, we aim to teach you about the tools you can use to get to know yourself better. To maybe even become a better version of yourself. And we're going to teach you how to actually use these tools in your own life. Kim, I just think that you are the greatest Kim that I've ever known. And I've known a lot of Kims in my day. I love that, Daisha. I love that for yeah. myself. Yeah. Does that please you? It does. It does make me, it makes me very happy. Thank you. <laughs> Although right now I'm starting to think that you're, you're not being real and authentic with me. Oh, no, no, no. No, I, I totally mean it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's not, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right, Daisha. <laughs> I'm not the best Kim. That's so sad. No, you, you actually are the best Kim. The other Kim that I know I think was from like second grade and she was okay. She was okay. Kim Gordon is pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, but you know, she's not, she's not as great as Kim Corson. Am I as great as the, the pink Power Ranger? She's Kim. Oh. That always annoyed me because I don't like pink and I didn't want to be the pink Power Ranger. But mm. I always had to be the pink Power Ranger because my name's Kim. Yeah. When, what are you going to do about that? I know. Like, if there were any Power Rangers named Daisha, I would have to be them no matter what you the color would. was. I know. That would never happen because... I have a weird hippie name. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Jan and Dave. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Dave, are you ready to talk about things? Oh, yeah. <clears throat> We're recording a podcast, aren't we? We are. Deja, I'm so tired right now, but I feel like I say that every time we get on here. Maybe we need to record <laughs> at a different time of day, but I, but no, seriously, I have so much to do because we are moving across country tomorrow. Oh, that's uh, no big deal. It'll be fine. Yeah, not a big deal. So I really had no. to practice a lot of this content that we're talking about today because I had to say no to a lot of things so that I could make time to get everything done so I could leave tomorrow. Oh my God. Okay, so we'll, well, what exactly are we talking about today? We are talking about people-pleasing. Uh, okay. I think I understand what that is, but can you describe it for me and maybe give a scenario? Well, as a developmental psychologist, I look at people pleasing from a lot of different angles because, of course, developmentally, we look at things from physical, cognitive, social, and emotional aspects, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. obviously, people pleasing is social because of the word people. <laughs> so no matter uh -huh. what, it's a very social thing. But the cognitive and the behavioral and the emotional side of things, that's the part that I wanted to talk about today in terms of pleasing. Because people pleasing as a whole is that you are trying to make everyone happy in mm -hmm. some way. But that isn't 
as nuanced as it should be, because what I want to talk about today is the motivation behind that pleasing. Like, why are we going beyond ourselves to try to make everyone happy and to be liked? And when we look at it from a cognitive and behavioral and emotional perspective, it allows us to understand the motivation of where that's coming from. Because simply just to say Mm -hmm. that I'm a people pleaser, that can mean so many different things because people try to please other people or do fawning behavior is often what we call it in a lot of different ways. So we're going to talk about the cognitive and the behavioral and the emotional sources of people pleasing today. Okay. All right. And where shall we begin? Good doctor. I say we start with cognitive. Okay. All right. And that's kind of because I am a little nerdy about cognitive things. We always talk about cognitive stuff on here. So I'm starting there, Mm -hmm. but I also like it because cognitive people pleasing is also considered a people pleasing mindset. Hmm. So it's the idea that the motivation for why you please is because of distorted thinking, some kind of mindset that you have created in your mind that is distorted about what it means to be nice and what it means in terms of pleasing. So people who have a people-pleasing mindset believe that being nice will protect them from things like rejection or pain. Mm, Okay. So they think if only I can be nice enough, like Mm -hmm. if I, if I'm a nice person, then everyone will like me and it'll all be okay. So, so basically what I'm hearing you say is that people who have this people-pleasing mindset Mm -hmm. are doing it to kind of keep themselves from from harm, from social harm or or, or perceived um, danger of some right. sort. Is that is that right? Right, okay. and they and it's kind of an unconscious thing. It's not necessarily that they think, oh, I have to be nice so that I don't get hurt. It's very embedded and deep in there. Essentially, sure. they somewhere along the line learned that they needed to be nice in order to get praise from people or in order to be considered good, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, like be a nice girl, that kind of thing, be a that, that side of thing. You need to be nice. You need to be nice. And of course we do need to be nice. We need to be kind. We, you know, we want kindness in the world. We had an entire podcast episode on that. The problem is that when niceness is the only sense of self that you have, that's when this mindset becomes a problem. When you think about yourself Mm. and you define yourself as being a nice person and there's not much more substance in there except I'm really nice. Yeah. That's when it becomes a problem. And because it yeah. It contributes to a lot of perfectionistic standards. So it's not just that I have to be nice, but I have to be perfect. I have to be this. I have to be that. There's a lot of shoulds that pop up with this mindset. Mm-hmm. And people with this mindset also have a lot of guilt because they somewhere along the way have been conditioned to believe that putting their needs first is selfish. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Now, of course, we don't want to put only our needs 
out there. Like we don't want to be solely focused on our needs, but our needs are as important as other people's needs. And when someone has this mindset, saying something like that, saying it's okay to put your needs first, they will bristle at that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because the worst thing that you could call someone who has a people pleasing mindset is selfish. They would, that would crumble them or not nice. You're not nice. That would just, that would just crumble them. Right. Uh So they have this real driving force and thought because it comes from a mindset, right? So it's a thought that everyone needs to like me and I need to do whatever it takes Mm -hmm. to make sure that everyone likes me. The problem is that they're not being their real selves when that happens. And so often because Mm -hmm. they are acting not of their true self, there's a lot of resentment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm really nice. And this person was still mean to me. I did everything right. Uh I did everything I was supposed to do. I do all these things for people. I'm so kind to people. I'm so nice to people and people just brush me off, you know, and Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that resentment, when those kinds of thoughts creep in, that means that there's a key that something's off balance. Yes. Right. Kim Corson. Yes. This is blowing my mind because (laughs) I love blowing people's minds. (laughs) This used to be my story. This, I was, I want to say up until my 20s, definitely a people pleaser. And I think we're about to get into a section of this conversation where we'll talk about like where this comes from. And Mm -hmm. I definitely know where mine came from, but I remember always thinking of myself as a nice person and that I was distinguished from other people by this specific characteristic of being like a nice person, a good person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is how I carried on and I, I would do, Uh, nice things for people and, you know, not necessarily expecting anything in return. But then when I didn't get anything in return, I would be rubbed just a little bit the wrong way, just Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, and then I remember I had this, I had this friend who was a little bit older than me and she called me out and was like, she basically told me that this is what I was doing and that, and I wish that I could remember exactly what she said to me because it hit my, the core of my being because the, the nature of what she was saying was that it was like, yeah, but the thing is that you're kind of not, you're not being honest. You're not being Mm -hmm. authentic. Mm-hmm. And what you actually, the like the thing to strive for is authenticity and honesty and realism. And if your quote unquote niceness is coming from somewhere else, then it's not freaking nice. Right. <laughs> it's actually like you, this is where you build up resentments in your mind. You create narratives about how you know, you have done all of these things for people and yet you're not getting them back. And, and it, it, you know, as you've said, it's that resentment is the key that something is off balance. And 
that is exactly what my friend pointed out to me. Um, and it was like mind blowing, completely changed my life and made me look at my, this thing, this characteristic that I had like held so dear my entire life. Yeah. I was going to ask, how did that hit you when she said that to you? Well, at first I was pissed. Yeah. You know, yeah. like, how dare you? <laughs> right. right. But, and then I was, and then I was hurt, you know, but then I thought, holy moly, she is so right. Yeah. Like, what have I been, what am I doing? And it was like, all of a sudden I could see that I was like, I had been wearing this mask my entire life that I had mm-hmm. never realized that I was wearing, that I had, I had like, uh, put so much stock in this, in behaving in this particular way. And that it was like, really a lot of energy to maintain that. Yes. And it ultimately gave me permission to let go of it and to instead start looking at how I actually felt about things. And that can be hard, that letting go of that. Because mindsets, the cognitive part of people pleasing is one of the hardest ones to overcome. I really probably should have left that one to the end because it's difficult, (laughs) but it's really hard (laughs) to overcome that mindset because our thoughts become things, right? That's a, that's a phrase that gets thrown around a lot out there, but our thoughts have Mm -hmm. a lot of power and our mindset has a lot of power and this mindset ends up being the thing that drives your behaviors, Mm -hmm. right? So you might be able to change some of the behaviors, but if you can't change the mindset that's driving it, that distorted thinking, if you, and actually even deeper than that, if you can't see the distorted thinking, which is often the big challenge, trying to get someone to actually see that their thinking is distorted, because that yeah. that nice moniker is so important to how a person with that mindset sees themselves that it's mm-hmm. very hard to separate that from it. One of the activities that I often give clients is to I have this interview that they do. It's one of my clients' least favorite things to do, but also one of the most impactful things that I have clients do. And it's a list of questions that they have to ask a trusted friend or family member. But one of the main things on there is to have the person describe them in using adjectives that do not include anything to do with nice. Hmm. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it is the most powerful thing when the person reads all those other pieces of themselves that other people adore about them that has nothing to do with them being nice. Uh It's like a giant eye opener. And honestly, that activity is one of the, it's so hard for people to do because part Mm -hmm. of this mindset is that you're afraid that someone's going to say that you're not nice. So they're so scared that they're going to get something back, especially when I say they can't say you're yeah. nice. They're like, well, what else is there? <laughs> um, so they're very <laughs> nervous nice about that. Nice. I know, that's it. <laughs> um, so they're very nervous about getting it back. But when they get it back and they're able to see that, it's 
it's astounding to them. And then the next part of that activity is that they need to add five more words about themselves that the other person didn't mention that also have nothing to Mm. do with being nice. Mm. Mm. And it's, it's so powerful, so, so powerful. But that is one of the things that helps break that chain of distorted thinking. It's, it's like, it's like taking the red pill. Is it the red pill? Which pill is it? Yeah. We'll go with red pill. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> the one that takes you into the matrix? Or the it's one that, the one that, that you know, shatters you the to... illusions, right? Like it's taking that pill mm-hmm. and allowing you to suddenly see, oh my gosh, the way I've been thinking is so distorted. And then, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, and we'll talk more about where these things come from, but then you can track back to where this all came from. And many times it is mm-hmm. from this idea that people have always praised you for being nice. And, you know, when we're, when we're young children, we're trying, we're seeking approval because it goes back to that attachment that we talked about. We talk about it so much, but we're trying to make sure that we survive. We're trying to make sure that we get our needs met. So we act in ways that we are going to do that. And if we find out that if I'm a nice person, most people really like that, I'm going to tune that up to 11 and make uh-huh. sure that I'm never not nice so that I can always ensure that I have yeah. this. But it becomes our sense of self and we have no other way to describe ourselves. So it's just such a powerful thing when you dismantle that and you realize that, yes, I am nice, but that's not the only thing that I am. And I have all these other wonderful pieces of my authentic self that I can shine and also have boundaries and say, hey, I don't like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much involved in the in the whole people pleasing. I'm a nice person identity, mm-hmm. and it's I mean it, it it can get really really deep. You know, you build up entire belief systems yes. around this this idea of of being nice. I do nice things, and I do nice things because, and then you have entire books of literature about why the virtues of kindness and all, you know, like, I mean, there's so much there to, to, there are important works about kindness. And mm-hmm. like you were, you were mm-hmm. saying that like, definitely that is, that is a human characteristic that the world could definitely use more of. But if you're a person who has this kind of distorted thinking, that stuff can be really sometimes harmful right. because it's it's there to reinforce this idea that niceness is a good, that niceness itself, that that pleasing people is good, that that um, the, the whole idea of you know this quote unquote idea of putting others before you mm-hmm. is is uh, is good. But it's so much more complicated because actually uh, you're not you're not ultimately putting others before yourself. You're doing this whole act for yes. yourself for, you know, even if it's coming from a place of self-protection yes. or, you know, wherever it's coming from, ultimately it's all about you. Right. And that's that's the real problem with it um, because it's not real. It's a it's a two degree it's an act. Well, and that makes it selfish because you're you're actually doing it yes. because you're trying to make meet your own needs. Right. 
first, really, you know, right. but, but it's hard it's, to see because like you said, it is a belief system and it's hard uh-huh. to break that yes. belief system. So it, there's, there's a lot of um, uh-huh. dismantling that you have to do when you have that distorted thinking. And that's why having a coach to help you take the, the steps to do it piece by piece mm-hmm. can help because you, you were very fortunate that, I mean, of course you, you buckled at first, but you dismantled pretty quickly. It sounds like, but a lot of people that, that distorted thinking is so ingrained that it, it's really hard to, to break it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I feel really lucky that this friend was just sort of like a tell it like mm-hmm. it is kind of person and finally had just, you know, it was some incident where, you know, I got upset with her a little bit for something she had done. And that's what brought this to to light where she was like, you know, here's the real right. deal with you. Well, you know, and, and think about it. If you're unconsciously trying to keep yourself from rejection and hurt, uh-huh. you're going to do everything you can to not hear the truth because you think yeah. the truth is going to hurt you because your truth is yeah. being nice keeps Very me true. safe and you don't want to hear the real truth yes. because that's not safe. Right. So, so it's a, you have to do a lot of soothing and um, safety work first in order to get to a place where mm-hmm. you can actually hear that you, it's okay to let go of this distorted thinking. Yeah. 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 Well, and okay, so where where does this come from? This whole people pleasing thing. Well, or it can we come can, from a lot of places actually. And we'll touch on it when we hit on the other two, the behavioral and the emotional because they all sort of come from a lot of the same places. It's just the way they manifest mm-hmm. is different. So, we'll circle back around mm-hmm. with that. Um but okay. with behavioral people pleasing, it's that people pleasing has become a habit. And, you know, with all of these, you, many people have a touch of all of them, right? But there's usually one that's kind of the the driving force. So we try to dismantle, dismantle that one. And then the other ones kind of follow suit usually. So you can have distorted thinking and also it becomes a habit because you've been doing it long enough, right? But if you dismantle mm-hmm. the disordered thinking, then we can work on the habits after that, right? But people who go first mm-hmm. with behavioral, usually they've learned it generationally. So you were asking where this comes from. Mm. Usually they've learned it generationally by watching people in their family doing people-pleasing behaviors, mm-hmm. right? So mm-hmm. they have been watching people that do it all, overcommit, they don't delegate anything. They have this mantra of, if I don't do it, it'll never get done. Or, you know, the only way to do something right is to do it yourself. <laughs> that is that is mm-hmm. kind of the mantra that people who have this behavioral side of things have. And they most likely have learned it from watching people in their family. Like, it, that's the most generational thing. Now, of course, yeah. you get the distorted thinking often from people in your family, too. But this is the idea that you're learning it by observation, that you're watching somebody do these things and you just sort of have fallen into it. 
And what happens is you've done it so much that you get very hooked on the approval that comes from it. So I do mm-hmm. all these things for everyone and everyone says, man, we can totally count on you. Like these types of people, they see themselves as being very responsible. They see themselves as doers and, and action people, usually highly motivated, high achievers, right? And they get a lot of approval for that because we love people that do it all. We love people that are take charge that are going to come in and we can say, hey, do this. And then we can say, hey, I know you've got, I've got this one more thing I need you to do. And they'll go, sure. You know, we love yes people, (laughs) right? So they get a lot of approval for this Mm -hmm. and they get hooked on it. It's almost like an addiction to that approval. Mm -hmm. And if you have this people pleasing behavior syndrome ish thing, (laughs) Um, you get, Mm -hmm. you have a strong reaction to criticism, of course, but you also have a strong reaction to praise. So a lot of people that I work with that have a behavioral motivation to please, they look externally for a lot of motivation and validation. That's kind of their first go-to is Mm -hmm. looking externally. So that's yeah. great when you're getting praise. <laughs> I mean, it's not great, but like it feels great, right? When you're getting praise. But yeah. the part where it gets imbalanced is you're not always going to do it right. You're not always going to make everybody happy, right? No matter how hard you try. And then when criticism comes, because their focus is so external, the criticism just absolutely blows them to the ground, right? So yeah. What do they do? They get back up and they please more. So they overcommit and they, you know, they fail to delegate because, so, you know, the sense of self in cognitive people pleasing is I am a nice person, right? That's the sense of self with that. With behavioral, the sense of self is caught up in how much I do for other people. So my main... Mm. Self-identity is what I do for other people and how much I do for other people. So that idea of if I don't do it, it will never get done. That is code for I'm a valuable person because I do all the things. Uh Right? And so it's, it's an identity thing just like the cognitive thing, but it's a different piece of it because it's about doing as opposed to the mindset. I mean, it still has a mindset behind it, right? But the focus is on the behavioral part of it. Yeah, these are the people who, in group projects, always just yes. take over the work. And the other like, group people yeah. let them. Yeah. <laughs> because. Uh-huh. Yes, because it turns pretty out awesome. that. I don't have to do anything. People don't. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> None of us wants to do right. extra work and if so we don't they have get to. this very strong sense of self. Look at this. So if the project turns out great, then they're like, "Oh, look at this great job that I did!" You know, because I did it all myself. And of course, they've got resentment, right? So it's mm. resentment. I ended up having to do everything. I hate group projects because I always have to do everything. Well, you have to do everything because you have yeah. done everyone else's job for them. <laughs> you know, and the uh-huh. problem is when you do everything. Others don't get the chance. And that group project is such a perfect example of this. Because when you do everything in a group project, yeah. in a work situation, um, in on a team, like as an athlete, right? If you do everything, others don't get the chance to step up and they don't get the chance to gain confidence in yeah. themselves. 
and they don't get the chance to actually do the things because you're doing it all the time. I saw a really great example of this in that show, uh, Paper Girls. Have you watched that? I haven't, but it's on my feed to watch or queue to watch, whatever. I mean, honestly, no. Uh, my two cents about Paper Girls, I wouldn't worry about watching it. Oh. However, okay. the- it looked kind of interesting. <laughs> right? It does. It okay. looks interesting. And yet, side note, um, side note, I'm, I'm let's talk about that later. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> anyway, they could have done so much better. Anyway, there's a character in this show who does exactly this. You learn about her at the beginning of the show that um, she has taken care of this sick mother mm. who has recently passed away. And, like, her sister uh, was just, like, nowhere to be found over, like, this the, the duration of, of this parent's sickness. This sister was nowhere to be found. And that's the, t- the story that she tells everybody, and that's the story that she's kind of, like, clearly has sold herself. Well, over the course of the show, you come to find out that, in fact, the sister very much wanted to be involved, mm-hmm. but she, this, this character, this main character would not let her. She took it yeah. upon herself to do all of the all of the necessary caretaking. And just like you've explained here, the the other sister was not given the chance to step up and be there and was essentially robbed of having a relationship with her parent at the end of their life uh, because this sister was a behavioral people pleaser and was like, I'll yeah. do it. I'll take it on. You know, it's a little martyry. Um, yeah, it is. It is yeah. martyry. And, yeah. and that's the type of resentment that this person feels like people who have this habit. That's the type of resentment they feel is that martyrdom yeah. sort of feeling. Yeah. Uh-huh. There is a, there's an interesting story about Michael Jordan back in the day. I'm going to I'm going to go sportsing on you Daisha. Are you ready? I don't even Michael Jordan. Let me let me go back in my mental Oh my gosh, come on. See if I no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> even I know anyway. who Michael Jordan is. Okay, I was going to say. <laughs> so, back in the day Michael Jordan uh when he was first with the Bulls was kind of doing everything himself sort of thing. Wasn't massively a team player, right? And the coach at the time, Phil Jackson, came in and had a talk with him and said, you've got to start letting people play their role. You've got to start letting people be a part of the team. Uh And it was a big, it was a big lesson for him, but it's, it's a very good illustration of this behavioral people pleasing that if you are doing everything and putting your value in how much you do, you're depriving other people from getting the chance to step up and develop and learn. Yes. It's just like uh, Jamie Tart and Ted Lasso. Yes, Jamie Tart. Yes. Oh, now that's a good show. Yeah. yeah. I love that show. But Same. yes, that's exactly it. Right. Yeah. You have to let people get the chance to step up and gain confidence. And, you know, maybe they aren't the best at things. Maybe... If you don't do it, it won't get done, quote, right. But other people aren't going to get a chance to learn how to do it (laughs) if you don't step back. Interestingly, the underlying message in not allowing other people to do things like this is that 
you think you can do better and that mm-hmm. you are more, you know, whatever it is, responsible, adept, um, whatever, at, at doing things than other people. So it's, it's a sort of inflated sense of self in a way that, that you is. think you can do it better, really. And it also can be that you're afraid that it won't get done, too. It can be kind of wrapped up in both of those. And that's an interesting conversation I often have with people. And that's where a theory that was a big theory in my PhD comes in, which is called family systems theory. And so the idea behind family systems theory is that the family or you know, we can use this in the workplace, we can use this on a sports team, we can use this in a cast production, right? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, so any group of people is a system in this Mm -hmm. theory, right? And the idea is that they, each part of the system, of course, is an individual, each person in the system is an individual, but they work together as a whole. And you can't completely separate them from the whole. So when one part moves, the other parts move in turn, right? It it impacts, Mm -hmm. like one move from one person impacts everyone else in the system. You don't just make a movement and the other parts of the system aren't impacted because they're all part of the same system, right? And the point of the system is the system likes to maintain homeostasis. So the, it, the mm-hmm. system likes to work in harmony. They don't, systems don't like being out of harmony, right? So the mm-hmm. systems are going to do whatever they need to do to try to get back into harmony. And so that fear that if you stop doing everything, because I hear this a lot, well, if I, if I stop doing everything, who's going to do it, right? Yeah. And for a while, the system's going to have to adjust. The system is going to have to learn who's going to do it. The system is mm-hmm. going to have to kind of recalibrate, right? But after a while, the system is designed to figure that out. Someone will step in. Something will happen. Like the system wants to be back into homeostasis. It wants to start working again. So something will happen. And and other people will never even get that chance if you don't let them have that chance. Hmm. So Hmm. family systems theory works really well in this instance. And when I'm working with people, I don't suggest that they drop the biggest ball that there is. I suggest that they start with some small task that they can delegate or that they can drop, right? That is not mm-hmm. going to completely make the system blow up and, you know, implode on itself or something. Yeah. Like drop a very yeah. small task that if it doesn't get done immediately or if it doesn't get done in the way that you want it to get done, the world's not going to end. But we can see what happens. We can see who does step up. We can see what does shift in the system. And we can use that chance to teach someone in the system to do this. So that's where family systems theory comes in for that. The last type of people pleasing I want to talk about or the last motivation for people pleasing is an emotional motivation. And Hmm. in the emotional side of things, people pleasing stems from avoiding uncomfortable emotions. Mm. So this is also about protection, but people who come from an emotional 
side of things have a lot of fears around anger and conflict and confrontation. So they avoid them at all costs. And in fact, Mm -hmm. this can be so strong that they don't even want to think about it because even thinking about confrontation can cause anxiety. Like just even, Mm. even imagining, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to say no to someone (laughs) or I'm going to have to tell someone that I don't like that. I don't want to do that. Or, you know, even yeah. thinking about it causes anxiety and they just shut it down. They're like, nope, 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 nope. <laughs> You're going to start, mm-hmm. I'm going to go scroll through mm-hmm. Instagram and not think about it, right? Um, yeah. The problem is that by avoiding conflict, they don't get the chance to practice conflict. So they don't get mm. the chance to practice difficult conversations. And even on a larger scheme, they don't even get to practice how to manage their own emotions that are difficult because they don't like feeling their own uncomfortable emotions. Yes. So they don't yes. get practice in doing that. And so it's kind of like there's a there's an example that a lot of people like to use of swimming, right? So if you have a fear of water and you never get near the water, you don't learn how to swim, right? You mm. don't actually ever get to. So if you never step foot in a pool, you're not ever going to get to learn how to swim. And that's kind of the situation here. Like they have avoided conflict so much. They've even avoided thinking about conflict. So not only do they not get to learn how to deal with conflict, which is an everyday part of life, they also don't even learn how to manage their own emotions because they don't let those emotions come in. Yes. And that can go into toxic, toxic positivity, which... If you haven't listened to yet, you can listen to Death by Pumpkin Spice Feels, which was where we coined the phrase pumpkin spice barf. What was it? What did we call it? We coined some amazing terms. We did. In fact, that term, side note, that term actually, some people liked that term so much that they reached out and asked me to do some seminars on toxic positivity for a couple of workplaces. So that was kind of fun, including MD Anderson. So that was fun. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. So that pumpkin spice barfiness, whatever it was, Uh that's a, it's a good word. We need to trademark. I think we should just like trademark that. (laughs) We should. (laughs) If we can remember what it was. (laughs) I think we need to go back and listen to our own episode. We do. Um, We should. Anyway, point of that being yeah, it can lead into that toxic positivity because you don't want to think about the bad things. So you just sort of stay in this little right. happy land. Yeah. I, you know, the upshot of my my years of having um, been a people pleaser mm-hmm. before I changed my, my ways um, was that I definitely never figured out how to deal with any negative feelings, really. Because... Mm-hmm didn't allow myself to have them I didn't and of course I had them because that's a normal human thing to do is to have to be angry to to feel all kinds of of things that aren't quote unquote okay to feel if you're a people pleaser why do I keep saying quote unquote I'm gonna go back and edit (laughs) all of that out um (laughs) I'm using lots of air quotes that you guys can't hear, and I'm saying quote unquote. I don't know. It just <laughs> anyway. 
I didn't even notice it. <laughs> oh yeah. I've done it like three or four times. Um, so, but I, uh, yeah, I, there are so many things like, like anger and other feelings that I just never learned how to, how to process mm-hmm. because I had not allowed myself to feel my feels at all. And all that does, of course, is tamp them down and then they're just gonna, they just come out elsewhere, like you were talking right. about earlier. Absolutely. It's not like they, they go away. Right. Uh, but, but it took me a long, long bunch of years to not feel bad about <laughs> feeling angry. Yeah. Or, or feeling, you know, feelings like, I don't know, resentment or being envious for a moment or something like that. You know, it took me a lot of years to just say, oh, no, I'm actually this feeling that I'm having right now is anger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, that's what it is. That's a and big like one. just letting it be. That's yeah. a big one. A lot of people fear yeah. their own anger. Uh, they yes. they Because, you know, some of that plays into that niceness mindset right nice nice people aren't angry right so exactly mm -hmm. nice people rise above it right and they you know like they stuff it deep down until it's resentment and then it comes out like a freaking cannon yeah Uh yeah exactly exactly (laughs) yeah so you know the take home from all of this is that mm-hmm. by figuring out your core motivation to please you can find a place to start your journey towards reclaiming your sense of self and figuring out what to do about it and this is very mm-hmm. important because i am a recovering people pleaser myself mm-hmm. and i Welcome, i would try to i tried to tackle the behavioral part of it first. I was like, okay, I am doing all these things. I need to learn how to say no. I need to, you know, do this. Mm -hmm. But then the emotional part would come over me and it would go, oh, no, 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 no. I can't say no because this is, you know, oh, it feels so bad to say no. And so then I would cave, right? So then I was like, oh, it must be all about the emotions. I'm going to tackle the emotional part of this. Um, So I learned to feel my emotions. I learned to sit with those emotions. I learned to, you know, name emotions and label emotions, but I still kept falling into this mindset of people pleasing. And I finally realized that what was at the heart of it was that I had this mindset that I needed to be nice to be liked. And what made mm-hmm. me a worthy person was being nice. And that a hundred percent came from my upbringing much of it came from my religious upbringing as well. So, uh-huh. which is a whole other show. <laughs> but That's, I feel like we should do that show. We might need I feel to. Like it's, yeah. We might need to. I whole, think I need to do thing. a little more uh, work with my uncomfortable emotions before we do that show. But yes. <laughs> Probably <laughs> same, should. Same, same. Probably should. <laughs> but yeah. So, you know, it. It definitely, I definitely was the cognitive. And I had to unsee that mindset. You know, I had to unlearn that idea. And once I took the pill and dismantled that, I couldn't ever go back again. I suddenly realized, oh my gosh. And I started seeing how it impacted so many different areas. And then the rest of it, started kind of falling in. So, you know, that work that I did with the habits and the work that I did with the emotions, they didn't go to waste. A lot of times I have clients and they'll say, I have a problem with people pleasing. They know that part of it. 
And they've tried so many different ways to stop it, and something keeps getting in the way. And so figuring Mm -hmm. out the biggest obstacle for you, whether it's cognitive, behavioral, or emotional, what's at the core, that allows you to pick strategies to help focus in on that first so that the rest of it can kind of follow suit and and go from there. So it really helps mm-hmm. that journey mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. I, and it's, it's, I think it's a really important thing to do because it's like, I feel like part of, of living a happy life, a life that's, you know, successful, good is, is being honest, being, being real, being, mm-hmm. being authentic. Mm-hmm. And like we, all have these barriers to move out of our way to getting to that, to getting to our own authenticity, um, to getting to our own, the core of who we are. And, and I think this is just, it's such an important one because it can be so damaging to yourself and others, like ironically, because it's all about, you know, being nice to people like ostensibly right <laughs> that's what right. it is is like pleasing people and then you're doing the opposite right and figuring out what what nice really means you know and and uh-huh. defining nice for yourself in a way that's authentic and good good to others but doesn't completely demolish your sense of self and that is not an easy thing yes. and the thing is that even when you've worked on this for a really long time, and even when you've studied this for a really long time, there are still situations that can trigger you back into that mindset or trigger you back into that habit or trigger you back into sure. wanting to avoid the emotion, right? There's always going to be oh, yeah. some kind of a trigger. But the good news is that once you really recognize what's at the heart of it, mm-hmm getting back to balance is going to be a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. Re- I mean, I feel like recognition of, of a behavior is like, it's almost 50% of yeah. the battle. Yeah. It if not does more. so much to just be <laughs> yeah. able to, to like see yourself right in a, in a real light, you know, but yeah, of course. It's so funny you say that because this week I have said that, to so many clients, um, I've had a, I've had several clients this week that were discouraged in some way about, you know, falling into an old habit or something like that. And I say to them, you're really not as far away from where you want to be as you think you are because you actually noticed it yourself. Like No one had to point that out to you. You Which actually said, oh my gosh, I'm doing it again. I'm like, that is normal life. That's, life is noticing that you're doing something and then taking steps to figure out how to do something different. That is the, that is actually healthy functioning. Healthy functioning is not being perfect all the time. It's being able to lapse in and out of making mistakes and pull yourself back out of it. So recognition is the the piece of that, that you need. Or as you know, that Sage GI Joe said, uh, knowing it's half the battle. <laughs> Great American hero. <laughs> I want to finish it, but I won't. Anyway. 
we have to <laughs> such restraint. we have to wrap up, Daisha, because I have so much to do before I move across the country. Oh my god, you do. Yeah, you better you better hop to it. Um, you have like three to four animals, depending on if you count Bill to pack up. <laughs> you have yes, <laughs> a whole house to. Oh my god, I just you know. Know that I'm with you in spirit. I know. But then I'm super glad I'm not with you IRL. You have helped me in so many different ways packing up things IRL <laughs> on so many occasions that it's, it's true. nice that you, time, get, you get this break. <laughs> You've been there through so many but moves in my life, Daisha. I just realized that. I have been. That's true. Yeah. I'm a good, I'm a good moving buddy. And it wasn't because... I was trying to please you. No. It was because moving is awful and I have felt for no, you. No, you clearly weren't trying to also, please me because I'm thinking about the time that you put a vase of some sort. I don't even think it was a vase. I think it was something else. But anyway, you wrapped it up, you put it in a box, and you labeled the box, this is a vase. <laughs> <laughs> I have written many, many labels on your box. <laughs> This is a vase. <laughs> not, not like this goes in the dining room. No, just this is a vase. <laughs> this is a vase. Well, it was true. It was true. It was not the system that we no. had agreed upon, but it was true. But it was true and it was honest. It was. And I value that it in was you. <laughs> I should have said like, sissy nipa. It was not even a vase. Honestly, it was not a vase. I don't even know what it was that you wrapped up, but it was. It was not. That was the funniest part of it. Was it was not a vase. Is it, it wasn't no, a vase. It was not. It was like. <laughs> I, I wish I could remember what it was, but it was not a vase. Oh my god, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, past me was hilarious. Past you and present you are both hilarious, <laughs> and future you will also be. Oh. So. Daisha, the take home yes. was yeah. to figure out your core motivation to please because that helps you. And I have ways yes. that people can do that. Mm-hmm. I have What are these ways? Yeah, I have an actual assessment that you can take that's a validated assessment oh, that will help cool. you know your um kind of where your people pleasing comes from. And uh-huh. it's actually built into a new self-paced coaching course that I have. Nice. I have done one of your uh, self-paced coaching courses and it was like extremely helpful. Nice. I'm very glad to hear that, especially as I'm doing Mm -hmm. a shameless plug right now and I actually feel kind of Mm -hmm. icky about it, but that is all about my own people-pleasing problems. (laughs) No, I remember when we first started doing the podcast, our our whole thing was like, you were going to help me with some uh, like professional coaching. Oh, yeah. And I was going to help you with this podcast that you were doing. Yes. And then it sort of morphed where I started actually doing the show with you and we sort of changed that model. But in that process, I did one of your self-paced courses. I was filling out like some of your your paperworks and um, yeah, they were hugely helpful. So totally worth it, people like not even trying to sell you anything. It's it's good stuff. Nice. And this one is called Mind Over Manners. And I have to give a little shout out to our mutual friend, Stephanie Saratelli, because she helped me come up with that name. And it's pretty awesome. Saratelli. Yes. 
Um, <laughs> also public media person from way back when. Mm-hmm. So anyway, yeah. Mind Over Manners. It is a 21-day course. It's it's kind of less a course and more um, a 21 days of challenges that you get. So every day you get a new little challenge or a new little worksheet or a new little video, just some tiny little 10-minute mm-hmm. piece for your day to help you pause the need to please. And the very first part of that is figuring out what is your motivation to please. And the beauty of, as you know, the beauty of these courses is that they're not like sitting and taking a course on the internet, like in a class or something like that. Mm -hmm. They are self-paced in that way that you can do them however you want and and at your own time, but they are really self-paced coaching because I'm there and I see a lot of the stuff that you submit and I write little notes and I tweak things for you and I help you along the way. So you're not alone in doing it. Um, I'm always there for you within the portal and and it's at a, it's kind of at a steal. It's only $30. Sweet. That's a pretty good takeaway. Yeah. So I'll drop a link for that in there. And of course, you know, I also do one-on-one coaching too. So if you wanted to go deeper, there's that. But the self-paced mm-hmm. is a nice way to sort of just dip your toes into the world of coaching, which is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. And then next time nice. we're going to still talk about people-pleasing, but we're going to specifically uh-huh. kind of look at the behavioral side of things. And we're looking at over-functioning and under-functioning during stress and what to do about oh. it. Okay. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll probably have lots of stories about that from this move. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I dread our talks <laughs> as much as I look forward to them. Yeah. <laughs> because I'm just like, I feel like I'm going to be so seen. <laughs> so seen. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. But because we're seen, yeah. other people are able to see. So that's nice. Yeah. You know why? Because we're really nice people, Kim. We are really nice. <laughs> we're super nice. We are nice. We're nice. <laughs> and we also have a sense of self. So we know that we are a lot of other things. Yeah. Like I am good at some other things that I can't think of right you now. You already just said you were funny. We just had that conversation. Oh, yeah. There you go. I've been told before. Yeah. Own it. That I am funny. Own your funniness. I'm, I'm freaking hilarious. Freaking hilarious. I should go on tour. I'm going to need you to be freaking hilarious for me and, and send me some funny things as I am driving along okay. for a hundred years. All right. The next few days. Whew. Godspeed, my friend. Yes. It's a long ass drive. All right. Okay. Uh, You go pack boxes. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go not pack boxes. Okay. And that's what's going to happen. I'm going to write, this is not a vase on everything. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Bye. Uh, Bye, Kim. The Dr. Kim cast is hosted by Dr. Kimberly Corson and me, Daisha Clay. Our researcher and writer is Kim Corson, and the podcast is engineered and produced by me, again, Daisha Clay. To learn more about Dr. Kim and her services, find her online at drkimcorson.com. That's drkimcorson.com. There you'll find all the links you need to follow her and get in touch. The information provided on the Dr. Kim cast is not therapy, nor is it meant to take the place of therapy or professional mental health counseling. 
Dr. Kim is a developmentalist, which means that she coaches people through change and personal growth. Neither she nor Daisha treat or diagnose mental health concerns through the information given on this podcast. The Dr. Kim cast is brought to you by Pillow Fort Studios. 